0: Think about the the triple aim you want to provide high quality care that's accessible and affordable and so when you think about the therapies PT and the other therapies I'll lump them all together they are one they are they help multiple populations whether it be post-recovery strengthening the athlete that wants to do that whatever it is right it's the healthy and folks that are also have some kind of injury or ailment Number two, it's it's really not it's it's super empowering. It's both it's both um, physical and mental in regards yeah. to helping people really, you know, get back to their goals, whatever those are. It is low cost compared to some of these other interventions, whether it be surgical or did imaging or whatever. Um, and so, um, and it's it's uh, it's ripe for change. We've
1: got a unique guest today. We talk to a lot of clinicians, sometimes we talk to patients, we talk to leaders and advocates, people within the profession, except today we're gonna to talk to someone who came to our profession from outside of our profession. be a little bit different. Uh, our guest today, I'm, I don't wanna introduce her because I don't wanna to give too much away because the first 15, 20 minutes of the episode, we go backwards through her career. And we learn about all the different superpowers she picked up along the way at all these different roles and how she's using those superpowers now as the leader for one of the largest organizations in our profession. I mean, I guess I got to introduce her somehow, right? We're talking to the CEO of ATI, who also happens to sponsor the show. So thanks for doing that. Uh, ATI for background, one of the leaders in clinical research within the PT profession. With more than 900 clinics across the nation, they place within the 100th percentile in CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Program for the second consecutive year. If you wanna join their team and jumpstart your career, check out atipt.com. Now, this really was an interview about somebody who's a leader and came to PT in sort of a roundabout way. And you know, love, I love people who come to PT in a roundabout way because I came to PT in a roundabout way. But I like how she brings together all the different lessons that she learned in these seemingly non-connected careers, and what she's gonna do after she's just wrapping her first years CEO at ATI. What she's gonna do in the future that will benefit all of us. So we'll get to that. Uh, do want to say thanks to some more sponsors of the program. PhysioTech is helping you add an additional 290 bucks per patient per quarter for your PT clinic. How do they do that? Well, remote therapeutic monitoring can do that. Improve patient outcomes, reduce provider frustration, improve clinic revenue. Find out how to get started with RTM at Physiotech.ca. That's physiotec.ca. And our friends at MW Therapy, delivering a modern all-in-one outpatient PT EMR with the built-in patient portal, marketing automation, and building features you want at a great value. Find them online at mwtherapy.com, where switching your EMR is easy. Without further ado, you get to learn from our guest today. Enjoy. Uh, but I do want to welcome you, Sharon. Welcome to uh, welcome to the the, the, the podcast. What we call it the Pinecast sometimes.
0: Great to be here. Thanks for having me. All
1: right, we're going to get to your background because a lot of shows start off by like just reading the resume of the guest, right? I want the audience to find out about you and and your background a little bit differently, okay? So you had, you have a variety of different types of jobs and roles, right? So what I wanna do is I'm gonna toss you, like batting practice, I'm gonna toss you these things from your history, and I want you to try and figure out, it's like word association, What skills or views or superpowers you picked up from that job or that role that you still might use today? Because that's what we really are, right? We're like a – we're a snowball going downhill. We pick up things, we use them, or we toss them. And I just think your background, this meandering thing, is so – it was pretty unique. And I just wanted to see what you picked it up. Um, So if you want, we'll start the show off by doing something like this. All right. So first off, you were a candy striper which might seem like, well, it's this, it's this you know, volunteer or, or internee type position. But I bet you what I know about candy strippers is they go so many different places and you get to see so many different things in a healthcare facility. So I wanted, you, I wanted to know what superpowers did you get out of being a candy striper?
0: So I was young, I was in my, I was like 10, 12. I went with my Nana. Um, and we, you know, she was the, the the volunteer and then she brought me along. And I would say, you know, one of the, the my memories, cause it was, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of it was in the cafeteria. We'd go and we'd have, we'd go to, you know, I thought eating in a cafeteria was awesome, but the way she interacted with people. Um, and so I, I just, came out with this like two pieces. One just I loved the environment. Yeah. in the hospital p- taking care of people and then two all the people we would talk to in the cafeteria. She knew everyone. she has been doing this for a lot longer than I had. They were so I don't know. I don't think they were just they were just genuinely liked what they were doing. Yeah. And I just that like really connected with me. And they're all different. They were it could have been the priest, it could have been the surgeon, it could have been the pediatrician it could have been any of the the nurses any of those folks right and so and to your point like we were you know just like getting to know people not with a title but just like what made them you know like coming to work every day and wanting to be a part of this this hospital that was pretty cool so it wasn't it was it was so intangible for me like i don't even know what it was but there was this feeling there was like i like it here this is what i want to do
1: Well, what I hear you saying is you were looking at the, I mean, because, because the cafeteria was, was not where the nurse belongs or where the doctor belonged or where the priest belonged, you were, you were focusing on the person and what they brought to the, to the situation or the conversation. Um, so it was almost like that. It was like that common ground. It was the cafeteria where they were being a version. They were being themselves.
0: Yeah. And they all—they all were the purpose, right? They would all talk about something related to what they did at the hospital, and so that purpose, like having a purpose, like that just really resonated with me yeah. at a very young age.
1: We—we talked before we hit record, of course. The audience always hears me refer to that. I should just hit record whenever the guest gets on because we wind up having great conversations before I hit record. And and we, you know, a lot of times people say, "Well, you know, how can I be the best guest?" Or you know, how you know, you know, give me some angle on how we can make this go right. And I always say. You know, my job as a host is to make the guest feel comfortable enough that they forget we're being recorded. I don't want you to perform, right? And it almost feels like the cafeteria in this situation is that place. They were being, I don't know, maybe their true selves, because that wasn't where they were, you know, I'm using air quotes on a podcast. It wasn't where they were on stage. It was, they were being.
0: I think a little bit too. So I said it was with my Nana. My Nana was probably, I don't know, 70 years old or something. She'd been at this hospital for 20 plus years they all knew my Nana. And so they would come over and chat. And so I think that was the other piece of it. They, you know, they just, they were really, they looked up to her. They were really yeah. comfortable with her. And so I got to learn through watching my Nana interact with these folks. And you're hundred percent right. They weren't, she wasn't a patient. She was there serving the same purpose. They were just in a different way. Yeah. Um, as a volunteer. So
1: how how old? How old were you then? Because that's these are pretty powerful things to see. You you know, when you said cafeteria, I immediately thought to the time I told my parents that I think I learned more in college in the hallways than I did in classroom. <laughs> and they were like, "Well, then what did we send you there for?" and I was like, "Well, no, like yeah. you learn a lot in the hallways and the parties and the morning after, you know, the parties. You yeah. really do, you grow. That's that's kind of the space to grow." And when you said cafeteria, I was like, "How cool is that?" because that's an unexpected answer and I knew something great was coming with it.
0: Yeah, I was. I was think. Like, I I I think she kind of snuck me in. I think you had to be a volunteer, like twelve to be a volunteer. But I think I started with because she was, you know, she would she took care of me. I think right. from ten to like 16. wow, ten. Yeah, and I liked it. I really enjoyed it a lot. What um, else
1: did you like about that? Because I mean, as I mentioned well, before, when I think of candy strippers, you get to kind of go everywhere, really. Well, the I mean, other you're...
0: thing was I was very intrigued by yeah. just like the NICU and the. The imaging and like I knew nothing about any of that, and so just it was just like really it was just I was really like I just liked learning, like walking around and looking at things, and uh, so because I would deliver things, I would go up right. on the floors, those kinds of things, and deliver flowers or something like that, and so it was just like I, I don't know, I mean I I just sounds really corny, and I'm not sure I at the time, but it was like a big playground. I just I really? I even though. There's a lot of sick people, a lot of you know things that are not so positive. Um, I think the combination of helping people and then just all the people there were so committed. So. What
1: a great experience too, because you had this pretty adult experience, right? But you had that great safety net. There was, and there was a purpose. You weren't just yeah. following around like you. You were given sort of this purpose, so there was a reason for you to to be there.
0: Yeah. It um, it was definitely I mean I can speak about it more articulately now than I did before but it it I knew after that I wanted to be in healthcare period so by the time I was a junior in high school I was like I'm you know I don't know if I want to be a provider I don't know if I want to be and I had an uncle who was an ENT and it was just about the time some uh, you know where where the healthcare landscape was changing just a little bit you know. Um, with Medicare and things like that. And so he said, uh, he said, well, you can be a, you know, you can be a provider. He said, but you know, who has all the power? He said, the administrators. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I touch 10 patients a day or 20 patients a day. He said, the administrators make the decisions that allow us to touch a whole community. I don't know. I, I mean, again, he was just, and he was, he was actually kind of, you know, angry about it or whatever he was like the docs used to have all the power and now they don't the administrators but the way he said it to me actually resonated because i that was my i was like wow it'd be really nice to have an influence over a whole community or a population or across the country um and so that that was sort of um, the why in the road i kind of i went pre-med i did all of that because i still wasn't sure and then the why in the road after i talked to uncle vin was Maybe I should think about being an administrator. Yeah, and so that was how that decision I, was made.
1: I focus a lot on questions, and and you sort of um, uh, uh, took exactly what I was thinking, which is the how came later. But he was highlighting. Listen, I can see what you might be, what you might be intrigued by. I know who you are, so you've got who, what, and then your why was. Listen, here's this underlying purpose, or what? What I want to do. And then how do I actually do that? You could do it a multitude of ways. Right, right. And however you do it, it really needs to impress you. You know, a lot of times we do things because we want them to impress or, or satisfy others. But when you find that thing that satisfies you, that's a powerful thing, your yeah. how. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, uh, you gotta be true to yourself.
1: Um, okay. So let's keep going. That was just number one. That was one thought. <laughs> I thought that would go faster, but we yeah. went deep with candy striper. You worked right. for, you worked with Ernst and young. I don't know a lot about them other than, and I, I purposefully didn't do a ton of research, but it's really like consulting and thought and charting yeah. courses. That's sort of what I get at Ernst and young. What did you, what superpowers or what skills did you get about your time from your time there?
0: So my goal there, um, they, uh, so I'm a little bit of a healthcare geek, to be honest. And so oh, I that's like, cool. I was like, okay, well, if I do consulting, I can travel around the country and see how healthcare is delivered in different parts of the country, in different hospitals, different health systems. And so I was like, I'm in and what young person doesn't like to travel. So sure. I, um, I thought this would be really interesting. And, you know, I've been fortunate to have some good mentors, um, throughout my life. And so one of my mentor said to me, he said, this is gonna be a really good opportunity for you. And so I would say when you're a consultant, you get a lot of exposure to different different environments, different levels of thinking, all of that. Um, I'd say number two, as a consultant, you'd be very methodical in how you approach things around problem solving and or going from a idea to a implemented whatever, action. So um, those would be two of the things that I'd say third is, um, I just have, Developed a tremendous network because yeah. I worked in so many different types of settings. Um, Ernst & Young at the time was one of the big six firms. I don't think right. there's not that many anymore. Right. Um, and so it was, you know, it was a really, it was a fantastic opportunity to do what I wanted to do, which was get exposure to healthcare on a national level. But then also, what I didn't realize was just it was a very disciplined. Kind of way of problem solving and uh, implementing change.
1: Yeah, I, I I geek about innovation. That's like been the thing. It's almost a buzzword for the last couple of years. But for me, it's really fascinating. And when when I hear people who study it, they talk about a lot of the things that you just said. Which is, some people might think of problem solving or innovation as this magic trick or this thing that just happened. It's it's it was a stroke of of insight. It just happened. And can you processize problem solving? I don't think anybody disagrees with that, right? So you, yeah. your your skill set or what you brought to the table was you had a bank or the organization had a bank of problems they had solved in ways they had solved it, and you got to sort of peek under the hood at so many different organizations who had different problems. But I bet you saw a lot of patterns there, right? Like in terms of you know, hey, we've seen this before. You know, we can kind of customize their solution, but we we get the gist.
0: Yeah. I would say one of the things that I, so there were a lot of different, we did a lot of different projects with a lot of different organizations and different ways to get there. I would say one of the things actually that resonated with me as I got into other organization was the common thread of, um, you can have great healthcare, you can do a great job delivering, but people need to have access. Yeah. And so that was one, so that that was something I didn't, like I didn't walk in with that, But as I got exposed, it became one of a little bit of a a personal area of interest.
1: Was that something you spotted or was it something other people kept highlighting too?
0: No, it was as I went to these different organizations, I would see the same theme play out. And so some of the things and the good fortune, you know, again, I was fortunate enough to do some, uh, be on some projects at different organizations and some of them were focused on access. But to be able to see it at different organizations and to have a little bit of a focus on that, um, it became a, it became my kind of my pet area of healthcare that I was yeah. I just I was hyper you know like hyper focused on it. everywhere I went I would notice it even if it wasn't part of the project.
1: It's funny because when you start doing that, it's like, uh, you know, somebody told me I bought a Jeep a couple of years ago and someone yep. says the minute you buy a Jeep, all you notice is Jeeps the on Jeeps. the
0: road. It's the same thing. Yeah. It,
1: it, there, there were the same amount of Jeeps yesterday than there were the day after I bought it, but you just keep yeah. seeing it. Now you see it, you see it everywhere. Yep. Yeah. So
0: that afforded me, like I said, some, some, uh, new skills and abilities, but it also allowed me to, to, to see, to kind of do my little study, um, around different organizations and, uh in healthcare delivery and in what they did for access and so everyone had their strengths and but there were always gaps too right um so and then when you talk about innovation i mean that's that again how do we when we think about delivering healthcare improving the lives of our communities and then also thinking about just as a society how do we improve our healthcare model and how people access it. Like that is one of the biggest keys. You could have great healthcare, great research and teaching, but people have if to build get, get it. Yeah.
1: yeah. We're going to get into specifically PT access and another access innovation that I think is pretty cool. And when I found out about your background, I was like, Oh, I've got to ask her about this, but I don't want to skip one. All right. You worked, you worked at Brigham and women's hospital, VP yeah. of ambulatory and women's health. So just like briefly describe the role and then what superpower, what things mm-hmm. did you pick up from your time there?
0: Uh, The role was a traditional hospital administrator overseeing uh, women's health, ambulatory. You know, the biggest thing there was, and, you know, research, teaching, fantastic, focused on patient care, just a fantastic organization, and um, did a lot of big capital projects. Those are, you know, capital projects are big, NICU, new ambulatory facility, et cetera. I think the biggest thing was, um, this is where I kind of put access, and then my second passion, which is ambulatory care. And so that was the first time they had a role in ambulatory care. And this was back in the 2000s, mid 2000s. And no one ever thought, especially in an academic organization, that ambulatory care would be important. It was never. It was like a means to an end. Right. Right. And so that was very interesting um, for me. Um, And I learned a lot. I had to do a lot of. Research and sort of strategy work to help people understand why ambulatory care was so important and. There were other folks that were doing the, you know, saying how ambulatory care was going to become, you know, we do more outpatient surgeries. People would recover at home. We would, you know, all these things that are current now. Right. um, And super important for, you know, our our healthcare delivery system, but no one believed it back then. So that was really interesting to me. It was sort of like a little startup within an academic organization. But more importantly, um, I did some firsts in ambulatory at the Brigham like what? With the Brigham, um, so we did a uh, we did an uh, an ambulatory care building out like 30 miles away from the hospital, and we made it a ambulatory community. So we had everything from primary care to imaging labs, ORs for AM surge, and then we did we did the first um, urgent care um, for the system. And when you create that kind of an ecosystem, it's amazing when you think about the patient experience, one stop shopping making it as easy as possible for patients. That's what we did. And it was like, it was magical. Um, but and more importantly, we do a lot of that now. Uh, but back in the day, that was a little bit of a new thing. And so, um, it was great. And, and again, so my two passions, access and ambulatory,
1: I I was just going to say, I was like, you know, a lot of the times that the themes before we hit the record button aren't necessarily there. I don't know where this is going to go as a host my job is to sort of pay attention. And there it is again. I mean, you just highlighted it. There's that, yeah. Hey, there's a- th- we, we do great stuff, but if there's no access to it, it doesn't matter. So how yeah. do we, de- how do we, de- how do we design it to bake access into the cake from the beginning? It sounds like you saw that and did that.
0: It was a little, it was perceived as threatening and negative to the really hospitals. Oh yeah. And, but it's the concept was you bringing care to where people live so that they don't have to drive into downtown boston and pay big right. parking fees and figure out get stressed about driving in the city
1: well who is it for right i mean we built a hospital we put everything in the hospital and that makes it really that that lowers the bar makes it easier for the people who work in the hospital makes it hard, harder for the people who the healthcare is designed for i mean you know growing up when i was younger we always heard well doctors used to make house calls and that was you know back in the you know 20s 30s 40s and then all of a sudden it was like well let's we have more specialized equipment, so we have to have it at this one place because it's not portable. So they centralized it, and it sounds like you were you were you were instrumental in saying, "Hey, what if we push this pendulum back the other way towards the people?"
0: Yeah, and I think the bifurcation. I mean, tertiary care does require you know a specialized environment, but sure. when we're thinking about you know ambulatory care, and we're thinking about things that are just you know that are that are a little more commonplace primary care, day surgeries, those kinds of things, why not have them in the community? And and that's a, you know, that's a theme that we'll continue to talk about, I'm sure, whether yeah. it be my next role at a clinic or even what we're doing at ATI.
1: I mean, we have to go. So like the fact that like, we've already talked about access like several times, and yeah. now I get to ask you about this, yeah. because the audience, I love when they don't, this is why I don't, I didn't want to give them your, your resume first. You, I mean, I don't want to say invented. Did you invent or what was your role with the C? I'm I'm just going to say this CVS minute clinic. What?
0: So CVS minute clinic. Um, I, I, I was there for about eight years and no, I didn't invent it. A bunch of physicians did about 20 years ago, believe it or not. Wow. Very forward thinking. Um, but I loved the disruptive nature. If you think about it, and you know you're young, and probably a lot of people are young. But back in the day, you either go to the emergency room or you go to your PCP. There was nothing in the middle. And so the, the so when you think about access, right? And you think about like I was so, I was just so impressed with that concept of doing something that was disruptive and provided options for patients. And by the way, when we in MinuteClinic, fifty um, percent uh, of the patients were seen after traditional position hours. Really? So evenings and weekends. You think about working people. You think about people that have, you know, kids that are in school, et cetera, et cetera. So I loved the disruptive nature and the creating access. Retail health is all about making it easy for patients, making it convenient for patients and pushing the envelope on whatever you can do so that the provider can just see the patient. That's so why they signed
1: up, right? I mean, that was yeah. the idea where they signed up, but if there's a barrier, so now we go back to obviously, I mean, putting a, a, first of all, the marketing on that, just calling it a minute clinic, because, because one of the things people think of is I'm going to show up, I'm going to have to wait around for a while. It's going to take long. I don't have time. And you, they, you put it right in the name. It's a minute clinic.
0: Yeah. Yeah it's uh, that was the concept but of course people would be like i had to wait 20 minutes i thought it was a minute clinic so it definitely was challenging at times it worked both ways but you know i think that so minute clinic um we were across almost all the states and we were located in CVS stores well guess what where are CVS stores located they're located where people live
1: people are people right
0: and by the way they're located where where not a lot of people live sometimes, uh, depending. And so it was a brilliant concept. Um, I can take no credit for it. Um, But it was creating access that was easy, convenient, affordable, and high quality care.
1: Well, I gotta ask this. So when when you said disruptive, right? if my boss in radio told me um if you're not getting called into my office this is the general manager <laughs> I, not, was running, I was running a rock station he said if you're not getting called into my office to get in trouble you know yeah. once a month uh you're not doing you're not living on the edge yeah. enough right yeah. Yeah. so with you saying disruption some people had to be angry scared worried something you know who who were those types of people and what were they angry about
0: oh there were plenty trust me <laughs> Um, we had a very talented team that worked at, at Minna Clinic, at CVS Health, thinking about this and thinking about how to weave, <clears throat> how to weave this into the traditional healthcare fabric. Um, Troy, ben, Troy Brennan was the CMO and he was, he was, he's, he's a legacy, but he really thought about how do you integrate Minna Clinic so that people don't think that it's dupli- duplicative care, that it's not connected care, Et cetera, et cetera. Um but so so some of those things allowed physicians. So I'd say there was a half half of the hospitals and health's traditional healthcare care providers saw minute clinic as a partner and a way to extend their practice. Uh, but the other half didn't. They saw it as competition. they saw it as not right. high quality care. Um, it was they, they they weren't informed necessarily, but nonetheless, that was their perception. And so, um, I think with anything, any new innovation, right? That's disruptive, you've got to bring people along and there's a cycle there. It takes a little bit of time and you've got to do the right thing. So you've got to make sure that your patients are happy because patients, you know, act with their feet. You've got to make sure that um, the quality of care is there and whoever would credential you does that. Um, and uh, you've got to make sure that you are um that there is continuity to care, and you know this is what I love about this role is this is very similar to what I'm doing at ATI.
1: Right. Well, that's um, where that's where this is going to go. Right. So yeah. so we've seen it, it, we've seen accessibility, we've seen access, but you 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 pointed out something else as well. It's got to be quality, right? Yep. So it's make the good thing, but then if people can't access it, doesn't matter. But if you can access it, it's not good. That's a fail too. So let's go to your role.
0: Let's just add the third, it has to be affordable. Correct. So that, we well, can, that, that could be an access that issue that
1: too, right? I mean, because yep. if I can't afford it it, it, it might be great, but now it's on a mountaintop somewhere. Yeah. All right. So let's let's fast forward to your next role for the speed round. You're at you're at ATI. Uh, you you get to uh, you get to lead uh, physical therapists across the country, more than 900 locations. What's what superpower have you picked up? And then I'll ask you to reverse it now too, which is which superpowers from your past that we just talked about do you get to employ now at at ATI?
0: So I would say um, walking into uh, the therapies, right? In the musculoskeletal space, I was interested, I I see it as an area that has tremendous potential. And so as I got here, it became much, much clearer. Um, So we think about, you know, again, we think about the, the triple aim. You wanna provide high quality care that's accessible and affordable. And so, when you think about the therapies, PT and the other therapies, I'll lump them all together. They are one. They are they help multiple populations, whether it be post recovery strengthening, the athlete that wants to do better, whatever it is, right? It's the healthy and folks that are also have some kind of injury or ailment. Number two, it's it's really not. It's it's super empowering. It's both it's both um, physical and mental in regards to helping people really, you know, get back to their goals, whatever those are. It is low cost compared to some of these other interventions, whether it be surgical or did imaging or whatever. Um, and so, um, and it's, it's, uh, it's ripe for change. So that's what I, I didn't realize. All, I mean, I, I, I knew that it was an area that could be improved upon and disrupted, but it's this little gem that just needs to be shined. Like it has such a place in our musculoskeletal ecosystem. And yet, I just, people, the average person, and we just, we as a, as a society have not valued this at the level that it should be. All right. And so that's what I learned in my one year here at, at uh, ATI, that that's even, it's even, there's even more potential here than I thought.
1: Okay. So we've got potential. Let's stay with the theme of access. Now, what are we as a profession? First of all, I got to say, as you were saying, it's really cool to hear someone who has a healthcare background, but is not a physical therapist, list all of the strengths and values that I think therapists or the profession like to say we have inside, right? So you spotted those. So it sounds like because that's what Oprah says, right? People want to be seen and heard and understood. So so far, it sounds like Sharon gets us. She gets us. So let's go back to access. How do we do those things? What are we doing wrong? So now you get to be a consultant too. Which is, wh- what have we been doing wrong that hasn't met that access, right? Because we have that quality. It is affordable. So it feels like the only on your on your triple aim the, the only thing we're missing is the access. What have we been doing wrong? How do we do better?
0: So there's two ways I think about that. So one is with my ATI hat on, right? So how do we think about making ATI or uh, you know, physical therapy in all of our therapies accessible to people? And so one they have to be they have to be affordable, right? That is a deterrent for people. And so offering multiple, you know, insurance coverage, government, commercial, all that kind of stuff and transparency around that. Number two is you, you know, folks, I think it's, uh, 10 miles. I may be getting that mixed up, but they don't want to travel too far for this care because it's frequent, right? right and it's, correct. it takes a little bit of time. So how do you locate and make sure you have a, a, a broad enough footprint so that people can come in and do it at their convenience. So they're not, you know, cause that is also a hurdle. Like if you have sure. to drive too far, they're not going there. Um, so, and then I would say the, um, making sure that you are reaching out to communities that either don't know a lot about pt care or in are don't have a lot of access or underserved right they just don't have you know a lot of access points and then working to um working with their primary care and other folks like that really so that you kind of surround people and help them understand um why this is important and then how they can you know how they can is it transportation is it is it co-pays, whatever it is that are their, um, their hurdles. And so, and then I say the last one just from an ATI perspective is in meeting patients where they are. And so we, I believe strongly in the hybrid model. So we have bricks and mortar, hands-on care. And then there's also an opportunity to um, work with patients virtually. And that doesn't work for everyone. Um, and I don't think it's an all or none. I think it's, how do we think about meshing those two together? So that's the ATI. But I think, from a PT therapies perspective, when we think about access for it, I, I, I feel like, and I've only been doing this for a year, um, but compared to other areas of healthcare that I've been in, right, it's fragmented. um okay, I think mean? it's so. I think it's good that we have health systems that provide PT. There are larger organizations like ATI and others, and then there's a lot of onesie twosie family owned i think that's great but we haven't come together um with one strong voice and we have different professional organizations that are doing that or trying to do that but i think if we could get our message out there help people understand what is, i talk to patients all the time in clinics and i know others you know they, they, my, my doctor told me I had to do this. I don't really know what it is. I was a little intimidated about coming here. I didn't really know. I like came because he or she told me I had to come, right? So I just don't think people understand the value of PT. And then I think the second thing is we need to be focused on what are the hurdles, right? For people getting there, some of it's knowledge, some of it's, um, you know, uh, worried about out-of-pocket expenditures. Some of it is, um, you know, the certain populations, Medicaid population or populations in, in uh, communities that aren't, that just aren't familiar with like yeah. what PT is, um, helping them there. But so I think, I think we as a, uh, as a profession have an opportunity to come together and have a stronger voice. And we talk about PT first, like we don't need to go to PT once we're hurt. We, there are lots of different ways that PT can take, a, take an important part in a person's lives. And so I just think we as a society, society haven't embraced this. And I think we as a profession need to have a stronger voice.
1: You keep saying words like uh, voice and access, obviously access being a theme so far, just what we've been talking about today. And then because you could, to me, I love playing on words. Access can mean a couple different things. Physical access, financial can be an access not understanding that there's a solution that's an access issue okay. so uh sharon will have my resume on her desk uh tomorrow morning because communicating that value is so important and it's really nuanced right because i think i see a lot of i i see a lot of messaging from organizations within our profession and they talk about physical therapy first And i'm not going to knock any of them because i think they're all they're rooted in value but i think importantly if we put if we put the value if we if we can show um, To use the mattress model, which is don't sell the mattress, sell me a good night's sleep. A lot of times PT, we love to sell PT or the doctorate or our evidence-based practice. None of those things are bad, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but from a, use, from, a, from a person hearing that, an audience perspective, I want to understand all those things you just mentioned. Some of our strength is our profession so wide. Some of the weaknesses, we're so wide, there's no one-size-fits-all message for all the different people we can help. So I think messaging and, and using that voice to come together and have a collective voice only strengthens us, strengthens us to show value from a patient perspective.
0: Yeah. yeah. And when you think about it, so there's different, just to your point, like when you think about words. So when I think about patients, the most important thing to them is, you know, we talk about patient reported outcomes. It's like, what are their goals in life and then how do we help them not in life, but with their current situation, right. how do we help them accomplish those. How do does a therapy or a therapist help you accomplish that? So that's one way to think about it. And then I think just you you could juxtaposition that with the, all the research out there that just shows that this non, you know this this therapy care can be one, restorative two, preventative, three it can certainly keep you from going down some roads that you probably don't wanna go down. Um, yeah. And so we think about getting the message out there, there's a patient perspective. And then I think, you know, being in healthcare, you've gotta think about the science, right? There's enough, there is enough literature and research out there that that proves that this is at least a good starting point sure. for patients that have some kind of a, a need in the musculoskeletal yeah. space. And so, again, we as a society, whether it be in healthcare, whether in, in healthcare in particular, we, we need to do better here. Um, and then we, as a profession, need to figure out how to put these pieces together to make it easy for people to understand why PT and all of our therapies need to be, need to be valued Deserve, uh, deserve the, to
1: be to be paid yeah. attention to it and to be yep. utilized. All right, so we've caught up on your career, right? We just went reverse <laughs> through the resume, right? So let's get really specific where you are now, because now we've caught up to present, we've done past, present, now it's due future. Yep. How is ATI specifically doing some of those things? Because similar to a role like a CVS, where you had physical space where it needed to be, right? In people's yep. communities, ATI 900 plus locations, how is ati going to tackle some of the things some of the issues we just talked about what are the things we look forward to in the future
0: so i mentioned one of them that i'm excited uh, that we've been working on for a little bit which is the hybrid model yeah and i think that that is um we have it in different parts of the country we have a national practice we can provide virtual care and uh and the bricks and mortar care and so i think i again i'm a big proponent of that i think it helps with not only access it also helps with adherence. Um, and it also helps uh, empower patients, right? Sure. To, to take this on their own and do their exercises and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's a big one. Um, I would say, you know, another is we'll, we'll, we're we gonna continue. We, we, we always look at the patient journey and what are the obstacles getting in the way for patients to access the care. Um, and so we are constantly challenging ourselves and looking at, you um, how we, you know, our hours of operation, our, you know, how we show up for our patients. Um, uh, We have team-based care model. And so we also think about that as having multiple providers, if you will, that they interact with and they can learn differently from. Um, I would say we're very committed to um, making sure that uh, care is affordable. And so again, working with multiple commercial and uh, government payers and um, looking at uh, how to um, how to make sure that patients understand what their responsibility is, and being really transparent around that, I think that's that's super important for patients, so that they know what they're walking into, especially with multiple, um, you know, multiple visits and an, an ongoing relationship. Um,
1: well, it sounds like you're paying attention to the people you're trying to serve, paying attention to what what reasons or what obstacles are in their way, and attempting to remove those. Again, yep. that's yep. access.
0: Yeah. I'd say, you know, another thing that um, I, you know, we had it been a clinic and we have here, we're a national practice and we have standard clinical guidelines. And of course, there's always decision making and autonomy by a provider to provide the best care based on what, you know, what the patient's needs are. But I think knowing anytime you go into an ATI, it's the same clinical standards, the same guidelines, and um, even just the same registration process. Right. right? So we have one kind of one way of doing things across all of our 900 plus clinics. And so again, I, that was a page I took out of the Menno Clinic book, but to to consumers, to, to patients, like knowing that consistency is there, right. I think is really, it just, again, removes one more hurdle for a patient. Um, and then you know that the, the clinical guidelines and the, the rigor behind the, the clinical, the way we provide care all outcomes-based, et cetera, based on you know good best practices and research, is applied across all of the the ATIs.
1: That's so what you that, want to break in the cake. Yeah. That's what you want to make sure is included in the ingredients, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: And I, I think that 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 is a differentiator for us. And I learned it at miniclinic like I said. You know, whether it be patients traveling, like you know, around to different places, or just like that brand and understanding what that brand stands for, is believe it or not. Um, and it makes access easier.
1: Well, that's what a brand is. I mean, that's what we come back to like, you know, my communications background. People think it's a logo or colors. And I said that's a really that's a really visible part of a brand. A brand's a feeling. What do, what what do I get when I walk in or when I think of you or you know, what experience is it? Is it annoying to book, book a time? That's a negative brand experience. You know, yeah. is, is, the, is, is the place, you know, hard to get to? Negative brand experience. So it's a lot more than the logo and the colors. Yeah.
0: You know, I'd say the other thing that um, I'm really pleased with at ATI is, you know, I, I'm under the mantra of happy providers, happy patients. And so how do we support our teams and create the culture that makes yeah. people you know, feel good about what they're doing. It makes them feel like I felt when I was a candy striper, right. just like I liked being there. This was my place. And so we work hard on that. Um, it's not, it's, it's not static and be, it's not perfect. Um, but, you know, the providers are, they're, they're who we are, right? right. They're in a care delivery organization. And so making sure the providers have the tools they need, the support they need, and are feel good about coming to, to the clinic every you day. Are. Coming to the worksite wherever they are, um, I think is really important. And again, our patients feel that. Our patients feel cared for when they go into the clinic, and it's how they're greeted, it's how what their treatment plan is, and then it's how the provider and the team there bends over backwards to help them when they had to bring in their granddaughter because you know she didn't have a babysitter and they didn't want to miss their session. So. Right. I'd say that. So, creating a welcoming environment, creating a spirit and an energy in in the in in our clinics, it 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 again. When you talk about access, it really it's it's inviting and it makes people want to be there. Our patients, um, even though they don't want to be there,
1: <laughs> but that's part of brand, right? I mean, there was yeah. a pretty controversial uh, book that came out. And I think it was like patients come second, and everybody was like, "You can't do that." And the idea there is, if you put your providers first, if you really take care of them. Yeah. They'll take care of your patients, so it's not. It's it really is looking at theme, things from an up or downstream perspective. Of course, we're showing up to create uh, a healthcare uh, service as our as our brand, but it, you 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 get better results when when you can take care of those providers. They're why their reason for showing up yep. are the patients. Yeah. Um, Sharon, are you ready to play a little game we call three questions?
0: Uh, of course.
1: Let's do three questions. All right. Three random questions. I pulled them out of this, uh, this deck of questions. All what right.
0: All right. You
1: ready for this? <laughs> all right. First question is, if you could make one of your hobbies into a profession, what would it be? We're trying to get inside the mind of Sharon. If you could make one of your hobbies a profession, what would it be?
0: I think it is a profession. I just could never do it. What is it? So I love stand up paddleboarding.
1: Yeah. Like one
0: of my favorite things. I, I think it is a profession. Like there are professional paddleboarders. I just could never do that because I'm not good enough. But
1: where do you do, are you like a lake? Is this an ocean thing?
0: What yeah, are you doing? So else? I would put together. So, Hey, I put together active. I like being active outdoors and I love the water. So that's how that comes together.
1: Or, hey, listen, I'm not going to tell you know you what to do at ATI, but like any of your clinics near bodies of water, that could be a great way to do balance training. It could be. Just throwing it out there. There
0: we go. There we go. Thank you. Uh,
1: second question, did you have – we might have touched on this a little bit, but did you have a favorite uh, teacher or a teacher who made a really big impact on your life? Is there someone that comes to mind when that question gets thrown out?
0: Yeah, I, I, it actually—I don't think it's one person. It's—it's uh, it's many of the mentors. Um, you know, one of the things—I mean, let's state the obvious. I'm am a female, and um, you know, I've been doing this for a little while, and it's not always easy for women to to break into uh, different professions and then to continue to progress in a—you know—up into senior management. Um, you know, in PT, at ATI. 66% of the, the ATIs are women. and But we only have about 25% of the women are in leadership positions. And that's wow. not specific to ATI. Sure. And so I would say the one person that helped me with all of this, healthcare, my career, and being a female leader that wants to make a difference um, was Kate Walsh. Kate Walsh uh, was, she just retired as the CEO at Boston Medical Center. Um, And uh, she showed me how to do all of those or helped me. She role modeled it and then guided me on how to be successful in all of those areas, being a good leader, being in healthcare and being impactful and, and living out a purpose. And then also being a female that, you know, sometimes has to overcome different hurdles than other genders. And, uh, just continuing to pave the way for others.
1: Love hearing that. All right. Third question on three questions. If you were going on a road trip, what are three must-haves that you couldn't leave on the road trip without? I mean, you, you, you do a lot of traveling, I'm guessing with ATI, I mean, locations all over the place and where you're located and where you live road trip, three things can't leave without. What are they? Music. Gotta have it.
0: Good music. Um, people even if they don't come with me that I am engaging with them and able to yeah you know to learn and to 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 talk and then um I would say good snacks.
1: Gotta have snacks for a road trip.
0: <laughs> I do. I like good snacks.
1: What's what's a what's a must have munchie? What's what's gonna be in the snack bag?
0: Uh well I kind of boring snacks because there is a pack, but I love like uh, mixed nuts. And they um, keep pretty well. Yeah. They're easy to eat, good height, you know, protein and, uh, and then, you know, my, my, some water.
1: Yeah. All right. There's your road trip. That's three questions. Uh, last thing we do on the show, Sharon, is called the parting shot. Parting shot brought to you by our friends from the Academy of Orthopedic PT, wherever you want to level up your orthopedic career, find them online at orthopt.org. Their They're uh, current offering current concepts of orthopedic PT. You want to take that OCS exam. That is the resource for you. So this is your, this is your chance. Parting shot. Last thing people are going to remember. They always remember the last thing, right? So time for a soapbox statement or a mic drop moment, whatever you'd want to leave the audience with Sharon, what's your parting shot.
0: So I think probably twofold. One is, um, you know, the, the therapies and PT and the whole musculoskeletal space, like we have an opportunity to have even a greater impact than we're having now across the healthcare landscape. And we have to join forces and come together and do that. And I think people are certainly trying, but I, yeah. I really, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. And then number two is just ATI is an awesome organization, whether you want to receive care there whether you want to join the team or you want to, we 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 want to be leaders and helpful in the first part, which is really um, elevating and moving the whole perception and uh, value of physical therapy and all the therapies um, in our healthcare ecosystem.
1: Well, uh, Sharon, thanks for coming to our profession because I think your background, as we heard of all of your superpowers that you picked up along the way in in your journey so far, I mean, that's what we need. We need things from outside that have worked that understand people to bring them to this profession to help us unlock and get access so we can help more people. So thanks for coming here because, uh, well, we need inventors and leaders like you.
0: Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.
1: All right, well, let's say the best conversations happen at happy hour. Thanks for coming ours.
0: We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.